You're listening to episode 86 of the Mompreneur Mastermind Show, and hey, I'm Steph Gass. If you've never met me and you're new to the show, welcome. I'm so excited to inspire you and teach you cool stuff about online marketing and sales and hopefully make you laugh. In today's episode, we're going to be digging into Facebook advertising, and I brought in the big guns. I brought in Meg Brunson, who's going to teach us all about social media advertising because she used to work at Facebook, and this girlfriend knows her stuff. So whether you are dabbling in Facebook ads already and you just want to streamline your process, whether you're ready to dig into Facebook ads or wondering, should I? Is it worth the investment? When should I do my own ads versus outsourcing? What are the most key components to creating an audience and targeting? And what type of creatives work best? Video, static photos, lives. We're going to answer all of those questions for you today. You're going to love the show. But before we dig in, I want to read you the review of the week. This review was left by... Mrs. Tofani, it's a five-star review and it says, Steph just gets me. Steph gets real. She speaks to my heartstrings as a mama, as a woman, and as a business owner. I feel like we are having a chat and she just understands. She brings encouragement, truth, humor, love, and tons of personality through the mic and I just love it. While I'm over here binge listening. Thanks, Mrs. Tofani. I'm excited that you're loving the show. And hey, sister, if you haven't left me a review, why not? Pause this episode, head on over to iTunes, leave a written review, and I might just read yours live on the air. And P.S., it really helps to build our ratings, get amazing guests on the show, and it inspires and encourages me to continue pouring into this passion project for free. So head over there, leave a quick review for me, and I will love you forever. I already do, but I'll love you extra. (laughs) All right, let's talk about Meg, our guest today. So Meg Brunson is a former Facebook employee who provides marketing support to parents who want to build their business without feeling guilt over the balance of family and entrepreneurship. Her clients enjoy predictable leads and traffic and positive ROI within three months. And they spend more time making happy memories with their kids than they do stressed out over marketing. Meg is also the host of the Familypreneur Podcast and the author-illustrator of the children's picture book, ABCs of Business. I'm excited. Let's dig in and talk to Meg. What's up, Mama Boss? Welcome back to the Mompreneur Mastermind Show. I'm Stephanie Gass, success strategist and passive income queen creator. If you're ready to step into your God-led potential, create profit from your passions, and capture the success that is already yours, this podcast was made for you. As always, you can find out more and connect with me over at stephaniegass.com. So grab that cup of coffee or fill up that glass of wine and let's dig in to today's show. All right, let's talk about Meg, our guest today. So Meg Brunson is a former Facebook employee who provides marketing support to parents who want to build their business without feeling guilt over the balance of family and entrepreneurship. Her clients enjoy predictable leads and traffic and positive ROI within three months. And they spend more time making happy memories with their kids than they do stressed out over marketing. Meg is also the host of the Familypreneur podcast and the author-illustrator of the children's picture book, ABCs of Business. I'm excited. Let's dig in and talk to Meg. Okay, bosses, you heard all about how amazing Meg is in the intro. I'm sitting here across from her. We're super excited to be talking to y'all today about ads. Welcome to the show, Meg. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. 
Well, we're excited too. This is such a cool topic and I think seems so daunting in reality, maybe not. So you're going to help us totally get it. But first, I think we want to hear in your own words, who is Meg? Tell us your story. Like, yeah, girl, give it to us. Like, tell us all the things. Well, I've always had a bit of an entrepreneurial streak in me, but it typically was like a side hustle for most of my life. So I always had like something on the side that was bringing in a, a little extra money. And then I got really sick when I was pregnant with my third baby. Sick enough that I almost died a couple times, like totally paraphrasing. And <laughs> I could have yeah. a whole episode about that experience. <laughs> but Dang. ultimately, I told my husband, I'm done. Like I'm done punching a clock and leaving my family. I haven't left the impact, the legacy I wanted to leave. And that was what really pushed me into entrepreneurship full time for the first time. So I did end up stepping back into the the corporate world because I was offered a job at Facebook and I thought, well, that would be cool. <laughs> Doesn't that and sound so cool? It's like Facebook. Wow. Right. And it was. It was it was cool. It was fun. The office was great. The people were great. Everything was great, except they want me to work 40 hours a week, Monday through Friday, you know, eight to four, eight to five. And I had already tasted that freedom of entrepreneurship. I had been self-employed for probably about three years at that point and went back to corporate. And the final nail in the coffin was Thanksgiving. My kindergartner had a play and I had 1.67 hours of PTO. So I was trying to figure out how I was going to juggle that PTO and then how could I arrange my lunch break. And I couldn't really stay late because my husband and I shared a car to work. And then we had to, there were all those like pieces. And I said, no, this is why I didn't want to do this. Like I I needed that reminder, I guess. So at that point, I left Facebook in, well, it took me about two months. I left Facebook in January of 2017 and I had been running ads for people kind of on the side, right? Because I always had that side hustle and I just made it my my full-time thing. And six months after I left um, or six months after I launched my agency, my husband lost his job unexpectedly. And, you know, he obviously, he tried to find another job and he was looking and it's just hard, you know, like trying to find the right thing is a really tough position to be in, especially when you've got four kids. We live in Phoenix, which is nowhere near our support network, you know, our families. And so instead of relying on his job search, I kind of just umped my, you know, amped up my, my business and it's been able to build at a faster rate because he's, he was willing to just give up all of those societal expectations. So he's the one that's out there making lunch and doing all the laundry and cleaning the bathrooms. And he's the one that's doing the mommy role. Yeah. If you will, you know how we traditionally assign it so that I can. That is so awesome. It's like, I I was just thinking about this recently, Meg, because it's like having a man that is strong enough and confident enough to support a really successful, strong, confident woman. I think that it's rare. So kudos to him. I I think that's great. We were just talking about it yesterday, actually, because I was like, there's a lot of people I meet who say to me things like, my husband would never do that when I say, you know, something that he's done, anything. And he's like, well, I don't understand it because we're a team. And if you succeed, we succeed. Amen and to I that. Feel like, he is like husband of the right. year. And to him, I'm like, but you don't understand. Like, that's a huge, like, it's me trying to tell him how much I appreciate him. Yes. 
that's not my love language. So I struggle with those words of affirmation. Right. But right. I'm like, you don't understand. Like, it's a really, it's a really big thing. It's a really big reason why I've been able to do everything I'm, I've been able to do. That's so cool. So now you're running this ad agency full time, like full, mm-hmm. full time. How many people do you have working with you at your agency? Oh boy, that's a good question. So <laughs> here like I am like, so I work with independent contractors, so I don't have any employees or anything okay. like that. I want to say I'm up to four. Gosh, I'm going to feel so bad if I'm missing somebody in my <laughs> counting, but I'm up to about four independent contractors. At this stage in the agency, I'm still kind of the, the face and the main contact for my clients, but then I have my team of VAs who support me in, in a variety of ways, whether that's setting up ads, researching creatives. I have a couple of businesses that are a little outside of my wheelhouse, just like I have an auto body shop. Like I'm not a car person. So I have some people that do like research on some of that stuff so I can speak the lingo. Yeah. Um, But that's about what my team looks like right now. That's so cool. And how do you, so you take clients that are like probably moderate entrepreneurs, right? It's like, was it like 1500 ad spend or so up per month? So I've got, I've got a slight, like I I do take some local businesses who are kind of in a different realm. You know, if you're a local business, you're a local cleaning company, or I've got a couple kids birthday party companies where they only serve like a 10 mile radius of their city. They're kind of in a different realm. And so they have a totally different package and ad spend. But that when you consider my fees and ad spend bundled together is typically around $1,500. And then you've got the online entrepreneurs, which are a whole different breed because they've got funnels and upsells and cross-sells and moving parts. And they're in a different, (laughs) in a totally different wheelhouse. Those clients, again, if you add my fees and ad spend together are typically closer to 2,500. Okay. It's a different, a different marketing strategy and different funnel types. Totally. That's super cool. I've always been curious about that because you see all these people saying, oh, I'm a Facebook ad strategist. And to me, I've always wondered, like, I guess, what makes that worth it for you? Because it's not something automated. You're literally sitting behind your computer exchanging time for money, and you have to personalize this experience for every business, every entrepreneur. Like, how do you, how do you possibly do that, Meg, with your four kiddos, even though your hubby's helping? Like, how do you do that? I think a lot of it is just you find the systems and the, the strategies and strategy isn't quite the word I'm looking for, but it's almost like you develop a blueprint. Like, yes, everything is individualized, but they all have similar qualities, similar traits. Like everybody has an ideal client avatar, which leads into what their ideal customer audience is. So it's like we go through the same basic like onboarding steps to learn each client. And then it's like a formula that we have that we kind of plug and play. But like you were kind of alluding to with Facebook ads, it's not automated. So I can have something that worked really well for one of my clients totally flop for another client. And so a lot of what we're doing is testing to try to find what's going to work. And then when we find what works, we kind of jot that down so that we can use that in a test for a future client. And through all these clients, we're able to just learn different things that work for different people and continuously test them all out, which is what you just need to do with Facebook because it's always changing and people are always changing. You know, it used to be that you could run webinars really inexpensively because they were new and and they weren't 
as familiar. And now I feel like a webinar or a web class or whatever you want to call it, an online training, you can call it whatever you want to call it, but people start to get savvy to the fact that it's a pitch for something. So you have to be really careful and you have to constantly be evolving your strategies based on what the market is responding to. I think that's so key, especially for like my audience is the new newer entrepreneur. She's maybe she's in network marketing, but she's trying to brand herself and shift a little bit bigger. Maybe she's got her very first course that she's trying to launch and they get stuck in. I just need to make money instead of, oh, I actually need to build a brand or a community first to create value and trust and then I can sell. And so they think of, oh, well, a Facebook ad is going to grow this community for me. I can just do a Facebook ad and it's going to explode my community. Like, what do you think, Meg? Let's talk about this beginner mompreneur. What if they're like, okay, I've got five bucks a day to spend on Facebook ads. What should their strategy be? They don't have a big following yet. They are willing to do the work. They're consistently ready. What should that first ad kind of focus on? What do you think? So, I feel like I could go a million directions with this question. That's the hardest part. It's like, which one do I want to pick? When it comes to just addressing the budget piece first, um, $5 a day budget and wanting to increase community, what I would start to look at is your comfort with live video. So video gets way more engagement than any other post type. So images, links, whatever. Video is superior. And then when you compare video to live video, and I don't have like my list of stats in front of me, but I can tell you it's a crazy big number. It's like, if I, if I can remember right, it's like 1200% more engagement on live videos than on pre-recorded videos. That doesn't surprise me at all. Like I totally can feel into that because I've seen it happen in my own business. The live just explodes. Yes. And I know that this is still organic, so I'm going to get to the ad piece. Um, but I really encourage people to get comfortable on, on live videos. That's step one, especially if you're a new business owner. And then step two is leveraging your $5 a day budget to extend the reach of those live videos by running video view ads to that live video so that you're getting this video in front of targeted people you know, that you're, you're targeting within Uh Facebook's targeting capabilities and you're optimizing for people to watch 15 or more seconds of this video. So it gives you, of course, there's best practices, right? Like you have to start this video strong so that you can hook people and keep them watching. But it's a really great way to get your face, your personality, to get you in front of new people. And when you're running Facebook ads, I should say too, this live video should be originating from your business page because when video comes from your business page, Facebook will automatically track people who are watching the video. Now you won't see names, so you won't see like Meg Brunson watched it, but you can go back into ads manager and create an audience of everybody who's watched your videos in the past, let's just say year. So now think a year down the road, you've invested $5 a day into Facebook. Video views right now are typically coming in between, I feel like a nickel is, is the high range of things. Okay. Um, so you can get video views as low as a penny, three cents. That $5 a day is going to go a long way, especially if your targeting is on point, to 
build you a big audience of people who are familiar with you that you can then remarket to later with offers to your opt-in or to join your group or to join, you know, to join your email list and, and things like that and work them down that funnel. So video views are definitely the best objective to use okay. when you've got a $5 a day budget or a lower budget like that, that give you the most bang for your buck, the most potential for growth and success long-term. Okay. So they're running these video ads. Do you have a sweet spot for the length of time of a live? Like are, what if it's a 45 minute live? Are they going to lose people? Should they be mini lives? So at minimum, Facebook is now, and again, this stuff changes all the time. Right. So that's the other like <laughs> cautionary tale. But as of semi-recently, like within the past month, the recommendation is three minutes minimum. Okay. So the reason behind that is shorter is fine. I mean, shorter is fine. But the reason behind that three minute mark is that Facebook is allowing uh, creators. So people that are creating videos to monetize videos through ads. Mm. So what that means is that if you're, what is it? Tasty is like that one that like always makes like the cool looking food videos. Yeah. So you've got those videos that people are watching. If people are watching for three minutes and this is a long-term goal, this isn't going to happen your first year, but if people are watching them for over three minutes and you're meeting some other metrics that Facebook has, you can start to place ads within your videos. And you've probably seen watching videos, ads that break up those videos. So even if that's not like a immediate monetization plan for you because it does take work to get there, I think having that three-minute minimum in mind is always a good idea. Okay. Now, with the 45-minute live, my recommendation is just, is there enough content that people are going to want to keep watching because we are living in a mobile world. So you have to imagine that these people are watching on their mobile phones and you're really going to have to be delivering a lot of content in order to get people watching for 45 minutes. If you can break that up into four 10 minute broadcasts, why not plan a month of a content calendar for live and then you know exactly what you have to go through for an entire month. Like for me, I think that would be a better strategy. It's going to be easier for me to do that than to come up with 45 minutes or more every single week. So I would probably suggest breaking it up if you can so that it's more bite-sized for people consuming on their phones on the go. I love that. And that makes sense. So most of my students that are taking courses with me are learning how to podcast and they're doing podcasts, right? So, so their community is, and they may or may not be recording the video that goes with it, Meg. So if they've got a podcast and they want to promote a show, but it's not a live video, do, do they have to do a video with it and run that as video? Or do you think they're still going to get traction even though it's just audio? So I did a lot of tests when it came to promoting my podcast um, on through Facebook ads. And I actually did a whole case study with a bunch of different podcasters, like big podcasters. I don't know if you're familiar with Dave Jackson. Like he's one of the, I don't know, greats of podcasting. Sure. <laughs> he's been doing it forever. All the way down to some brand new podcasters who had like a hundred downloads okay. when they started with me. So we yeah. ran a bunch of different tests. I didn't find any uh, correlation or any advantage to using the audiogram over using a static image. Oh. So I think that's number one. Like we did test them out and there just wasn't, there wasn't enough data um, 
to confirm that one was better than the other. So for that reason, I personally focused on just using static images because it was less work. <laughs> just to be and then they would click it and it would just link over to what, Apple iTunes or to their blog? So we've tested a couple different strategies and I wouldn't, they each work well kind of for different, different goals. So the question would really be, you know, listen to the strategies and then figure out which one works best for your goal. So one of them um, was we took, and this would require a little bit more than $5 a day. I would say $10 a day minimum okay. because what we did is we took Apple and Android users and we separated them. So you can target specifically what device people are accessing Facebook from. And so we served them mobile only, and then we separated Apple and Android. And then the Apple people we sent to iTunes, and the Android people we sent to Google Podcasts. So it would be like $5 for each. Um, I didn't want to like only do $5 to iTunes and then neglect all the Android people. Sure. Equal opportunity, you know? I love so, that. I love that. Okay. And then $5 each. Like, was your call to action in those ads, like, subscribe? Because if you send them to Apple, I guess you could use a specific link for that episode, right? I guess if you're right. talking about a specific episode and you would send them to the direct link on iTunes or Google, right? Google Play. Yeah. So okay. the call to action, like, I wrote was definitely subscribe, was subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. The call to action button that you can choose from was listen now. So I okay. used the listen now button so that they could click listen now. It would open it directly in iTunes on their phone where they're most likely to listen. And then they could subscribe so that they can listen at their convenience. Cool. So now the ladies have heard, okay, it's, it's live video for my podcasters. You guys have some clarity on this. Let's talk about the audience for a second, Meg. So I had Holly in my group this morning ask me to ask you. So she is newer entrepreneur. She does network marketing. She's also working on branding herself. She said, how do I target and can I target specifically the mom? Her kiddo just went to kindergarten. This mom makes a hundred thousand a year, etc. right? Like you can pick all of those things. And I know the answer to that is yes. But then the second question that came to my mind was, if you target that specifically, are you actually hurting your, your results because you're not allowing Facebook to do that background work? Like what's that audience like sweet spot or how specific should you get? So it's a general, there's a lot of general rules of thumb, right? Okay. So I would go into ads manager and start to build that audience out. One thing I see a lot of, one mistake I see a lot of people make is that they will take all of those segments. So you said a parent, you said their child is, and with Facebook, you can target like three to five or six to eight. So you would make that decision. I'm guessing you'd probably target three to five because you're going to get those people going to kinder, going to preschool. That's probably your safest bet. Right. And then the income. So those are like, let's just say those three things are what you're targeting. The mistake I see people make is they put them all in one box. Mm -hmm. So then what you're saying is this or this or this, and that's not what you want. You want this and this and this. And I know this is kind of confusing because this is audio. So we're not, we don't have a screen share. You can't see the buttons, but when you go in, you're going to actually just put one of those things. So parents, then you're going to click a button that says narrow. It either says narrow more or narrow this audience, something like that, narrow. And it'll create a new box. And in that box, you're going to put your income. 
and then you're going to click narrow and it's going to pop another box and there you can put that age range and then if you want to you can go back and kind of fluff those boxes up so maybe in the parent box you're also going to add things like parenting magazine or um now I like Dr. Spock. I was trying to think of a person a parent would follow and I don't right. know if Dr. Spock is around, but <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Seuss, <laughs> you're going to add other segments into those boxes, keeping the categories in mind so that when people go through those filters, you're filtering out just the exact person you want. And of course, if it is just moms, then you'll just change it from all to, to women and it'll narrow it down to women parents, which are moms. Okay. Um, and then keeping an eye on, on the right-hand side of Ads Manager, there's a little, I call it the size meter I don't, I don't know really what it's called, but it looks yeah. like a little gas meter. The odometer. <laughs> and if you look underneath there, it'll tell you your potential audience size. And so with targeting a nationwide audience, Facebook really wants to see somewhere in between one to five million people in that audience. Okay. It's not always possible though. You know, we talked a little bit about local businesses earlier and my local like birthday party in Denver business, there's just not million. 1 million ideal people within 10 miles of Denver. Like there's just sure. not. So in some respect, you have to abandon those best practices in order to ensure that you're reaching the right people. And I typically give it like a 10% of the area range. So like, I don't have these numbers handy, but I would research how many people live in, in Denver or in that county. You know, you get a number, let's just call it 1 million. It's probably more than that, but <laughs> a yeah, million. Sure. And then you would figure out, well, what's 10% of a million? Gosh, math, 100,000? Is that yeah. right? Uh-huh. And then, <laughs> hopefully, so then, hopefully. <laughs> right? So then I would probably try to get it somewhere around there. So just thinking, it still gives Facebook some wiggle room to find the right people. You also may just want to expand some of your um, requirements a little bit. So maybe you include the three to five and the six to eight parent group. Or with income, you can't actually target 100,000 anymore, but you can target what like the top five or the top 10% of US zip codes. So you would get people in affluent zip codes as opposed to people in less affluent zip codes. So maybe you add, you expand upon that a little bit to give it a little more wiggle room. Because in most cases, your income only matters so much because you could have somebody who's making 75,000 and somebody who's making 175,000. But if they, if the 70,000 or 75,000 family values your product, right. they'll find a way to pay for it. That's true. So giving a little wiggle room so that you can find what you need. I do that with age all the time. I'll have somebody come to me and say, my ideal client is 35 to 45 years old, period. And I'm like, right. okay, we're going to target 30 to 50 because we're going to give a little wiggle room. And then you, you can know? see, right, who's actually right. clicking and, and then you're testing your theory because maybe it's exactly. not. Okay, and I love that. Fine tune it, but you know your people broaden it by yeah. five years, $10,000, whatever. Broaden it a little bit. Okay. Try to keep those numbers in mind. 
like I said, it's, it's tough because there's so many variables. <laughs> yes, I know. It's hard. But a guideline, right? Like this guideline helps. So then, Meg, they go from, and this is for somebody with that one ad, right? They're, they're growing this community. As you're getting into retargeting the people that are liking these ads that you have out there, you're going to abandon that number, right? Because if you're retargeting, maybe you only have a thousand people. Exactly. Does that matter? Do you just go ahead and retarget and completely ignore the odometer? So there's still a little bit that matters. Like you, you don't want to put a hundred dollars a day into your audience of a thousand people because okay. that's a lot of money and a, a small number of people and you're going to get a high frequency and there's still a little bit of, of matter in there. Um, but with retargeting, the number stuff definitely goes out the window. Definitely. Um, so you can spend less than, sorry, Meg, go ahead. Oh, I said, because they're already warm people. Yeah. So yeah. With, with prospecting, you need that bigger audience so that Facebook can help you find the right people. But when you're retargeting, you've already qualified them. Okay. So it can be a smaller audience. So let's say you had a thousand people in the retarget. What dollar amount, because that's also where I think it gets confusing because you're like, well, okay, well, if I have this, let's say $50 a day um, spend, and I'm spending half on building community and then half on retarget. Maybe that retarget's too high. Yeah. So typically with prospecting, so that's the building community, like you're saying, you're trying to prospect, find new people. I typically give that a higher percentage of the budget. Okay. And part of the reason is because you want to consistently be fueling, you know, you're thinking of the traditional funnel, right? You want yeah. to consistently be putting people into that funnel. You don't want to turn that off. And just remarket because you're go you're gonna run out run out of people in your funnel. So you need to have that that prospecting ad continuously running. I want to say, and again, this I just want to preface that these are not like solid numbers. It's just an idea of how I break it down for some of my clients. There's variation here, but. With a couple of my clients right now who have their funnels fairly well built out, we've got about 60% going towards prospecting. And then I want to say we're at about, here's where I'm going to have to do my math, right? I want to say we're at about 25% that's going to a remarketing of warm people to a sales page. And then we've got that remaining bit that's going, and maybe I did that backwards. I'm so sorry. Okay, <laughs> I'm so bad okay. at math. But then we've got another remaining bit that's retargeting people who hit the sales page to come back and actually make the purchase. So we've got like two remarketing steps well, that makes in sense. there. That makes sense. Because it's like, so. yeah, because you're taking that 60% to build. Then you've got 40% that you're splitting into 2020 of retarget warm and then close the sale, right? Well, yeah, but it's actually like 25 and then 15. Okay. Gotcha. So it gets even smaller. As right. you're closing the sale because that the audience is smaller. The audience is smaller. It's often more expensive, but because they're so highly qualified, they convert. Yes. So I have a funny stat Which makes for it you worth it. That, that confirms what you're saying, Meg. I have one ad that's for the sales call itself, like that 15-minute consult. It's the last step mm -hmm. in my process. And it's right now, it's at like $97 a call, but I have an 80% close rate and they purchase more than $500, right? So right. it's like you have to think about 
what is the ROI of the spend? And then I think I could definitely dial down what I'm spending though on the retarget because I'm spending half on retarget. So sure. that's really helpful. And it's like, it reminds me of a story. At one point I had two clients at the exact same time and one of them, we were getting 50 cent leads and she was ecstatic. And yeah. the other client, we were getting $50 leads and she was equally as thrilled. And people are like, whoa, but I would hate a $50 lead. And I'm like, guys, she's selling a $10,000 coaching program off of it. Yeah. So it depends upon what your offer is. It depends upon your funnel. And that's, I think, the other piece of this. Like when I have a new client that comes to me, and part of this I've learned because I didn't always run this the way I do now. Right. You know, this is a, an evolution is when people come to me, I want to know what does your funnel look like? What's your email sequence look like? Like Facebook ads are amazing, but they can't do it all. Like I can get you the traffic, I can get you the leads, but you have to have a process for closing those sales. Facebook ads don't sell things. They just get you the traffic and the leads so that you can sell them. But you need yeah. processes to do that. So oftentimes we're, we're strategizing on what the perfect opt-in will be um, or what the email sequence should say or you know, where is the disconnect? You know, where is the funnel leaking that needs to be repaired? So it goes beyond Facebook ads for sure. But when you have a proven product, you have uh, a funnel that converts, then these ads are just like the faucet that you need to run the people through it. So you would, you would recommend these girls at least have a freebie, a, a giveaway or a value ad, like a podcast or the live videos that are adding value and then they have an email list with a value-added sequence before running traffic to it, right? Right. And you can run, like we talked about the video ads. So there's definitely ads you can run while you're preparing these elements. Right. Like I think, but I think that's the important distinction is that running a $5 a day video view ad isn't going to fill your $500 course. Like you need other steps in there. And so you need to start building out those other, those other elements. I love that. That brings so much clarity. So my last question for the new entrepreneur is how do they know if it's working? Like what's the length of time that you test and what are the metrics that they should look at? And again, it's going to depend a little bit upon, upon what the strategy is um, with certain things like creative optimization. So Anytime you run a campaign, you should always be testing at least two creatives. Um, I usually start with creative because that's what gets people to stop scrolling when they're on their cell phones. You know, it's not the words somebody writes that gets you to read it. It's right. the picture that catches your attention. So I always recommend starting by testing two different images, just as an example, in testing two things that are somehow opposite of each other. So maybe that's like a flat lay versus a lifestyle photo, or maybe it's just this one has a green background and this one has a pink background. Like just testing some different things to see what's getting people to stop and read and take action. So for optimization like that, it typically only takes like two to three days. And then you go in and you turn off the creative that's not working. Um, and I encourage you to to think outside of the box to put your creative hat on and don't just don't just do like a pink background and a green background because yeah. you can't think of anything else. My favorite example of this is when I um, was working with a dentist who always had all of her creatives were always blonde women with smiling, big, happy teeth. 
And the answer was, well, because that's what works. So that's what we use. And it's like, but how do you know that's what works? Like maybe that's what worked last year, but how do you know that's what's going to work best for you this year? And so we tested some other like funny, weird, random, (laughs) whatever word you want to use, things. Um, And the one, one of them that actually performed really well for her, which was a battle to get her to even test, (laughs) was a silly picture of like a solid background and three fingers. I don't know if you're a Girl Scout, but like doing the Girl Scout promise. So they're like together. And then there were pictures, little faces drawn on the pads of the fingers and little arms to make it look like they were, they were hugging little happy, smiley faces. And we made some like corny copy that was like, no matter what brings you into our office, you'll leave happy. Yeah. You know, and nobody likes going to the dentist. No. (laughs) If you're going to leave happy, that's probably a good experience. And she was hesitant because it wasn't those, those smiling, perfect teeth, but it got her leads. It got new, you know, faces in the door. And ultimately that's what matters. So always be testing images um, and different ads at the ad level. Now, when it comes to like further down in the funnel where you've got this live video and you want to know if it's converting, you have to determine number one, what's your ultimate goal. Um, And then tracking that based on the stats Facebook gives you. So if you really want people to watch the video, you can look at the video view stats, how long they're watching, what the average watch time is. Um, If you want people watching the video and then taking action by clicking over to a link, then I recommend that you look at both metrics. So which video are people watching more of? And then which video is causing the most clicks? So sometimes it's looking at two different metrics and then just using you know, your, your brain to figure out which is actually getting you the results that you want more of. So you may have video A that's getting you people watching it more, but video B is getting people that are clicking on your link. And so you're going to have to ask yourself which one of those actions is actually more important to you. Do you want people visiting your website or do you want them watching your video? And the answer might be different for different people at different stages of their, of their business. So it, the success definitely could look different based on what your goals are today and sure. what they are tomorrow. Oh my gosh, that's awesome. Okay, my last question, Meg, is when should people go from dabbling in this themselves to hiring someone to do this for them? <laughs> and that's a tricky question too. So I think number one, you have to keep budget in mind. Yeah. Um, you can find cheap people. And sometimes (laughs) you can even find people who are willing to like do it for free for a testimonial. And I'm not saying that's always a bad idea. That's how I started. Was I, I took free clients, you know, um, and then they just paid ad spend. But that's important to remember is, is you're still investing ad spend and you really want to make sure you're going with the right agency. Um, I've had some agencies, will set up your ads within their ad accounts so that when you leave, you have no data coming with you. So there's little, there's a lot of background research you need to do when picking the right person. I think number one, you need to be able to afford it. Number two, you have to have a plan for making all that money back. So, I mean, that may seem obvious, but you need to make sure you're getting an ROI. And that you're, you have time to invest in the management, even though you're outsourcing it. So 
I have the most success with clients who meet with me at least once a month so that we can like work together to make these ads better. So it's not a complete outsource. You have to be somewhat involved and willing to give information into the success of your ads. Um, but I think, I really think the biggest piece is just having the, the financial stability to be able to sustain it. Facebook ads are not, uh, I'm going to run an ad for a week and suddenly we're going to be cash flow positive. Yeah. <laughs> there has to be a level of investment. My clients for all you know, local businesses or digital companies, we start with a three month commitment. And the reason is, I mean, it was all taken directly from Facebook, but the reason is because it takes time to get the testing right, to find what works, to start generating that ROI, to become cash flow positive, and then to scale it up. So you have to you have to be able to make that investment without, you know, putting your family at risk. And then you have to have the time to thoroughly vet somebody to make sure, you know, look at references, um, look at testimonials, look at, I mean, if they've got negative testimonials, look at the responses that they've got from the, you know, from the, the testimonials, like how do they reply to those situations? Um, and just make sure you're going with the right people. I, I see so many examples of people who just picked the wrong agency, yeah. and it can really debilitate you because it's not an inexpensive investment. Sure. Wow, that's amazing. I mean, everything's been so good. This is like the number the or the uh, interview Meg, where I've probably said the least ever because I'm just like, yes, I teach talk a me lot. All the things. No, teach me all the things. All the things. Like I love Facebook ads so much, and I've kind of been this self-taught person. I've I've you know, dabbled in them for gosh, probably four years. Um, but until the last year is when I really ramped them up and really got into retargeting and all of those things. So I'm at that cusp of, do I keep doing this myself? Do I outsource them? So all of those, that information is just valuable. And I think for my girls as well, cause they're going to get to that point too and need to know. Oh my gosh. So how do people find you, Meg? You run your own podcast. You've got a cool quiz for us. Tell the girls, where do they come learn more about you and your mission? So my central hub for all things is megbrunson.com. It's personally branded. I'm across social media at the Meg Brunson, just about everywhere. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, you know, just about everywhere. And the quiz is brand new as of the recording of this podcast. So the quiz is super fun. It is discovering what your Facebook marketing theme song is. So I'm a huge fan of dance parties. That's my family and I are dancing. Oh yeah, time. us too. So there's some Facebook related questions. It'll tell you what your theme song is. And there are six amazing choices that will have you singing and dancing in the background. And it'll also give you tips on what you need to actually up-level your Facebook marketing at the same time. So that is at megbrunson.com slash quiz. Cool. Well, thank you so much, Meg. Thank you. This has been amazing. That was gold. I mean, the actual tangible advice that Meg gave us life-changing or business-changing. <laughs> I'm going to head over into my Facebook ads manager right now and dig into some of those tools. Now, if you are a beginner Facebook ad creator and you're not ready to invest in a high-level service, I want you to check out my 
introductory Facebook ads masterclass. It's an hour and it will get you going on just creating a simple campaign. Maybe it's three, five bucks a day, but it will help you understand where and how to create an audience, how you can set up your creative, where to put the copyright, understanding the buttons, the clickable links, the Facebook pixels, and the beginner one-on-one on Facebook ads. You can find that class along with all of my other courses at stephaniegass.teachable.com. All right, boss, I just want to pray over you now, sister friend, that you are excited in your business. You know that you have the power to shift the direction of your life, that you can take control of wherever you are right now today. Take action, dig in, find the grit, find the resources, and know that if you have a mission on this earth, it is your duty to step into that mission and go out there with gusto and just dig into it. And yes, you're going to fail. And yes, it's going to be hard. And yes, you're going to be unsure and overwhelmed and frustrated. And you might even cry. But you are still worthy. And all of those hard lessons are going to shape the reality of your success story later. Okay, so it's digging in now, doing the hard, believing in yourself, finding the confidence to continue taking the steps and to believe that God is pulling you by the heart and by the hand and he is here with you, supporting you right now in the journey of your life. And you have the power to live your best life on your very own terms if you just believe it to be true. Take action, dig in long enough, hard enough, and with his persistent call on your heart, okay? So as always, sending you so much love and light, Steph. If you like Mama Saw, leave a review. Sending peace. Hey Mama, real quick before you go, if you found value in today's podcast and you learned something new, Take a screenshot for me, post it up in your Instagram stories, and be sure to tag me because together we can empower, educate, and shift the way that mamas look at life because sister friend, we actually can have it all. Let's claim it.